So Hebrews chapter 9. So uh, today is at sundown the day of atonement, right? So that is the day in which a sacrifice would have been spilled in the temple by the high priest in order to cover, not wipe away, but to cover the sins of Israel. Okay? And uh, there's no longer a temple that is standing in Jerusalem, and so now it's like a big kind of headache. Well, now what do you do, right? Now, fortunately, we as believers in Messiah, we know exactly what was done, right? 2,000 years ago, there's no longer a need for the shedding of an animal sacrifice because a sacrifice and a permanent one has been made, okay? So let's, let's take a look at, at this and we'll gain an understanding of what's happening, right? So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, okay? So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin for salvation. Chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. So this is Paul discussing because the temple is, is, well, we don't know if it's Paul. It might be Apollos, but... Yeah, the, the, the temple is still standing, making comment that every year there's still continually temple sacrifices, and it's done every year, but it cannot make the people perfect. It can't. Right? So he's commenting in real time when a temple is still standing. Can you imagine the confusion in theology at that point, right? Uh, verse 2 For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So the reason for doing the sacrifice is to is a reminder that you are a sinner. Four, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Not possible. The blood of goats and the blood of bulls would cover over. This is actually what the day means. Yom Kippur is the day of Kippur, which is a day of covering. It's not even really atonement. It's a day of covering. Amen. Right? Just to kind of help. But not to cover, or I'm sorry, not to atone, not to remove. But with Jesus, it's removed. Amen. Verse 11, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Right? Where the temple is standing every day and once a year, there's a priest that goes in, but it can't take away the sin. Verse 12, but this man, this man Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. I'm going to read that again. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart. 
in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day, right? The days of the return of the Lord approaching. All right, so what do we have? This is the writer of Hebrews that's doing a very, very big theological jump for people. Trying to show a movement from a, from a temple and animal sacrifices and under, and trying to explain the theology behind an one eternal sacrifice. Okay? That is what the writer is trying to do. Particularly since it's written to a group of people called Hebrews. These are Jewish believers who probably just got saved and are like, uh, but God said that you are to do an animal sacrifice. Like, you mean, you're now telling us to do something that, that goes against what God said before, and I don't know what's going on. So Paul, or I think most likely Apollos, is explaining the rationale and the reason. Okay? All right, so what do we have here? He's right, he says, well, come on, there's a better sacrifice. Like bulls and goats cover sin, doesn't take the sin away. But in verse 12, he says, but this man, my God, Jesus, but this man, he paid a sacrifice that will remove your sins forever. And it never has to be done again because it has been completed and it is finished. Amen. But this man, whoo. Now, if that's not good enough, he then says, now, now. A boldness, a boldness to enter beyond the veil. Have a boldness to go into the Holy of Holies. Have a boldness to see Jesus and to see God face to face. Amen. Uh, verse 21, I love this. Um, or verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us draw near to him. And so today... Um, I really want to talk about some things, or rather a thing, that I think is an inhibition that keeps people from really drawing near to him and boldly going before the throne of grace. Like, we have access to the Holy of Holies, right, in the Spirit. And I would believe that if we had access and if we did that, our lives would be transformed. Things that would scare us or worry us or put us in fear would no longer be there. The flesh would just burn off in the presence of the Lord. And then, therefore, without being a complete jerk, if our lives are not being transformed, if we're still struggling with things, I would then have to suppose that you haven't boldly drawn near to the Lord. If Moses goes before the Lord in a burning bush and his face is physically changed, and there is a glow upon him, and he's transformed that much. How much more? Because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. And so what I just outlined to you in the book of Hebrews is the modern context. The modern context, right, post-crucifixion, is that our position today and our posture today should be what it says in Hebrews. The ability to draw near to him. The ability to be transformed. And I would say this, um, to understand and to implement that idea, 
One needs to understand the backstory to what the writer of Hebrews is discussing. Okay? He's not discussing the Passover sacrifice right there. He is discussing the Yom Kippur, the David Tobit sacrifice. I know that 100% because he's talking about bulls and goats. He's not talking about a lamb. He's talking about bulls and goats and a high priest. That's only, only the day of Tobit. Like, he doesn't have to say the day of Tobit. He's written to Jewish people who are practicing Judaism. They know exactly what he's talking about. So what I'm saying here is to understand and to implement this idea of Hebrews, I really do believe that we need to understand a little bit of the backstory behind Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Um, the backstory is going to reveal the whole picture of the theology of, of the Lord. And I believe this, you know, just like when you are putting together a jigsaw puzzle, like the first thing you do is put out like the borders, right? right. Put out the borders and then you start to put the pieces in start putting the pieces in and see the full picture, I would argue this. If we do not see the full picture of the revelation, the manifestation of God in our life, we haven't put the whole puzzle together. Wow. I think a lot of us are still working on the borders. We're only working on the borders because we don't know the whole picture. We don't understand the whole picture. And I believe a part of understanding the whole picture is to be seen in what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You have a boldness and ability to go before the throne of grace because of a high priest that didn't just make a sacrifice, but became the sacrifice. Once and for all. And what does that mean? So, the whole picture, I believe, will release the chains which may be holding you back from drawing near totally. And I think, to be honest, I, mean, I think the church at large, right, we have, we're not completely drawing near to him. I, and we need to, and we're called to and so to understand this, let's, let's take a look, right? Let's look at the whole picture. Let's try to understand what, in fact, Jesus really did. And let's take a look at what, at sundown tonight, is the commemoration. Okay. So we're going to take a look at Leviticus 16. Some of your Bibles will be entitled, above the chapter, The Day of Atonement. Tonight, at Sunday. We're going to jump around a little bit. Please, please pay attention because this is like, you know, sacrificial law. So you're kind of going to be like, what the heck? But it's the whole picture. And it's beautiful and it's powerful. Okay? As I joke, as I, as I joke with my uh, Israeli friends, you know, when, you're, when your people were making sacrifices in Herod's temple, this beautiful thing, you know, my, my, my ancestors were still like running around in, in like, Bear fur in a cave somewhere, you know, in, in Germany. It's so funny. Right? I always thought it was common. I always said that to my wife. Like, she's Italian, so I'm like, yeah, when your family was, you know, producing Michelangelo and Da Vinci, <laughs> my family's like wandering around in the woods. It's funny. It's so funny, right? Ah, God's in it all, amen. Amen. Leviticus 16. Verse 1, now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. When they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. Oh, that's, that's, that's a sermon right there. Profane fire, right? And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Five, and he... Aaron shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids to 
babies, essentially, or young goats, right? Two young goats of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. Jumping down to verse 21. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Verse 30, almost done, two verses ago. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you and you shall afflict your souls on that day. It is a statute forever. Okay. So the afflicting of the soul is the tradition. It doesn't say that you have to fast. It says afflict your soul. Um, so the tradition is to fast for one day as a sign of affliction. All right. So let's, let's take a look at what's going on here. All right. Once a year, uh, there's an act to earn atonement. An act of earning. You have to do it, right? It's, it's an act. And it's not permanent. You have to redo it every year, right? And it's, it's this weird kind of concept. It's like... You do it uh, on Yom Kippur, right? And then your name is written in the book of life. Uh, and then when you get back to the next year, you got to do it all over again. You don't do it on this particular day and the atonement and all this stuff that you're not written in the book of life. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen to you? That's a little bit of the backstory of the theology. The process, uh, generally, I would say Americans do not like the process. Right? We like results. So like, oh, you know, you know, if you got a little thing like, why are we reading Leviticus? Why do we just read a bunch of verses? Eh, it's okay. It's not necessarily your fault. You're an American. You want the result? Give it to me now. That's why we have sermons 10 minutes long these days, right? It's like we don't like the process. Just give it to me. I want the result. I would argue this. And I mean I'm arguing this not just from a pastor, but from a, a teaching point of view, from a, being a professional educator. It's this. Not knowing the process will not allow you to sustain the results. Right, mommy and daddy gave you a million dollars and you haven't done anything, right? You're gonna right. you're gonna you're gonna just boom, waste that money. You cannot sustain results without understanding the process of things. Amen. And I think that's part of our problem in the church of not being able to draw near to him fully. You get what I'm saying? Like I got saved, that's the result. Well, let's understand the process. Let's understand the process. Like you were a sinner before the Lord, you were destined for hell, you had separation from God. Your soul was damned. Yes. And now he's wiped everything away. Like when everything has been wiped away. And now you need to believe that and you need to understand that everything has been wiped away. But if you just get it like hit, you know, get a quick like, 
I'm saved and we're not understanding the process, you're not going to be able to sustain the results of what it means to be a son or daughter. And so we're talking a little bit about the process, right? And I think it's very fascinating. Some of you will, and I hope all of you will find it fascinating. But you have to hold on to the re- get away from the result. Let's go to the process. All right. In Leviticus, the command was to have three animals. Follow along. Sacrificial law here. Right? Yeah. All right, here we go, right? Uh, one is a bull. Sacrifice a bull. Okay, why do you sacrifice a bull? Uh, for the sins of the high priest. Amen. This isn't for Israel. This is Aaron and his sons, which are different than the other priests. Uh, the Levites, essentially. They need to make a sacrifice for themselves so that they are clean. They need to be clean because if they come into the presence of the Lord, unclean, they would be killed because God is a holy God. They would tie a rope around their waist when they went into the Holy of Holies with a bell. If you heard the bell stop ringing, you know they dropped down dead. And you have to pull them out. Let that sink in. That is how holy God is. That is how holy God is. Sin cannot stand. It cannot live before his presence. Life. Woo! The process. I'm not just saved. That, that's what would happen. If it wasn't for Jesus. Next, you got two goats. That now, if the priest has been clean, he can give all the goats, right? He can, he can sacrifice the goats. And what's going on with the goats? One is to be sacrificed to atone for the sins of a nation. Most people kind of get that. A lot of people forget that, oh my gosh, there was a second goat. And the second goat was to cast the sins upon it and for that, that, that goat to be banished to the wilderness. Okay? Two. One was to be killed and the other to be banished. I need everyone to remember that. One to be killed, the other to be banished. Now, the one that is banished, that receives the guilt, the shame, all that is let out to the wilderness to die, that goat in Hebrew has a name. The name is Azazel. A-Z-A-Z-E-L. Azazel. Okay? Now let's pause here for a moment. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 9, says this. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. Here we go. Literally, you cast lots, you chance, you gamble to see which goat is going to die and which goat is going to be sent out into the wilderness. Now, it could be the one goat, right? But the one goat where the lot of the Lord falls upon shall be the sacrifice and shall be killed. But what does it say here? The one that the Lord's lot is upon. The one goat goes away, the other goat, the Lord's lot falls upon and must be the atonement. Wow. The second, the goat, the second goat, Azazel, all the blame, all the shame, all of it will be placed on that goat and they now go to an uninhabited place and remain in the wilderness. And what I just want to encourage you, or 
really kind of get us going here is I think that many of us have adopted the mentality of that second goat. We're taking on this shame, taking on this burden, and we've been banished to a place of wilderness in our, in our spirit. But we'll get there. Okay. Start getting to some results. Couldn't handle the process to get to the results, right? Trust the process. All right, New Testament. At the trial of Jesus, how many, how many, how many sacrifices or how many goats are there? Two. Who? You see, you see the perfect theology of the Lord. Barabbas and Jesus. Interesting. What happened? The lot, the gamble. Who do you want to let go? The lot fell upon Jesus to be the atonement. The lot fell on him at the choosing. Hmm. He was able to become the first goat. Now, Barabbas, or Abbas, right, is, is let go, right? Is that during, it was during that time, or is it tradition during the fe feasts and the festivals of Passover that the Romans and the Jewish leadership would allow for one criminal to go? You guys heard the story? Yeah. And the lot fell on Jesus. And the other person, the goat, Barabbas, is the one that is let go. Now, what's very kind of interesting with all this is uh, what does the crowd shout at that moment? Let his blood be on our hands. Yeah. Let us receive the shame. Let us receive the burden of this judgment. If that's not an Azazel, if that's not a second goat, that really Barabbas is representing, I don't know what it is. Do you see the perfect theology of the Lord? Let's take a look. Bar Abbas. This is like, oh, it's Bar in Aramaic is son. Abbas comes from Abba, father. Bar Abbas, son of the father. Okay. One of the goods. Uh, in, in Matthew 27, verse 16, it says that uh, Bar Abbas was a it was a rebel leader. He was trying to usurp the power of the kingdom through physical means. Jesus is there to do it through spiritual means. Uh, in the oldest manuscripts of Matthew 27, it says, And there was a leader whose name was Jesus Barabbas. Most scholars believe that Barabbas, which is the last name, that his first name was Jesus, which is a common name in first century Israel. Jesus, well, they wouldn't call him Jesus. They would have called Barabbas Yeshua. And they would call Jesus the Christ Yeshua as well. So you have two Yeshuas up there. Two Joshuas up there. One is going to be the goat that shall receive the atonement where the lot falls on. And the other one shall be the one where essentially it's a representation of the guilt and the shame. Wow. So the question is this. Are you making yourself Barabbas? Yeah. 
Are you making yourself Azazel? Do you make others your Barabbas or your Azazel? What is this guy talking about? You're kind of confused right now. Well, Azazel from the Hebrew is translated in Leviticus. And it's translated, and actually it gives the entire notion and understanding and etymology behind the English word scapegoat. The idea of a scapegoat in our vernacular comes from Leviticus 16. When you make someone a scapegoat, you are making someone an Azazel. The goat which receives the blame, receives the shame, and is cast out. So really what I'm asking you is this. Are you making yourself a scapegoat? Or do you make others a scapegoat? Do you take on the blame and the shame of other people? Or do you actually make other people be the scapegoat for your actions? And I would argue that if you do not receive fully the understanding that Jesus was not just one goat, but he's really the two goats. Right? He's the two sacrifices. The sacrifices of atonement, but also the sacrifice of adopting, receiving all the blame and shame. You will not be able to enter near to God. If you just receive the one theology of the sacrifice, I have been saved and atoned for. Cool. But there's another sacrifice that's happening. That goat goes out to the wilderness and there's no water and there's no food. That goat shall die. There is another sacrifice. And the sacrifice is that even though you are saved, you best not still be walking in shame. You can get saved and still have shame. But the process and the backstory is Jesus didn't just save you for eternal life. He saved you and took your shame. And it's gone. Now you can receive Jesus as an atoning work and be saved. But if you still have shame, you will not draw near to God behind the veil. The scapegoat. Two options. We can disregard the power of Jesus and we can make ourselves the scapegoat for others. Right? This is very common in dating relationships. It's like one of the biggest, like, no, don't go down that path. So you single people, listen up. This is a proverbial, you know, proverbial like a female that, you know, dates the bad boy because she's going to be able to change him there. If you do, it's going to be short-lived. Look, you can disregard the power of Jesus and you can make yourself a scapegoat for others, right? You take on their shame, their sin, their penalty, their responsibility, and you say, I'm going to make them better. I can fix it. That's you becoming another man or another woman scapegoat. You, like, you have to get this because I'm telling you, I am a public school teacher. I see this. There's a lot of mom and dads who bear the scapegoat for their children. Oh, I have to fix it. I have to do this. It, it, it's not my kid's fault. It's my fault. Like this, this, this. I got to do this. Come on, man. It is bad stuff. 
And if we adopt that into the spirit, when we are trying to be the scapegoat for others, you are trying to, you're trying to be the, the person that's going to fix it for other people. You're, bearing, you're, you're making yourself Azazel. You're making yourself the scapegoat. Second option. Uh, if you disregard the power of Jesus and make others the scapegoat for your life. We all love those people, don't we? Both views are not biblical. And both defame the power of the cross. They do. Let's take a look at one. Around us, number two of them. You're making yourself a scapegoat for others. This is the type of person uh, that, well, does a couple things. One, um, it, it needs, to, needs to fix other people. You need to convince other people. They're a person that needs to make everything right. It's not your job. Your job is not to convince people to follow Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Okay? It's not your job to, to convince your spouse no longer to be an alcoholic. Right? That's the Holy Spirit's job. Now, obviously, we can stand in righteousness. We can be a witness. But you are not going to change people unless they want to be changed. And they're only going to be changed if the Holy Spirit speaks to them. There's a lot of people who want to fix. You feel compelled to fix. I'm just going to encourage you with this. It's not your job. You're not Christ. Amen. And I'm telling you, if you walk out trying to change and fix everything, you will live a life that's completely exhausted. Amen. You will be exhausted because you are bearing a role that is not yours and it was never intended to be yours. But I, I think, you know, the more profound kind of notion here is, is making other people the scapegoat. Yeah. Right? You know, the, uh, someone come on to play a little bit of a short message today. Yes. Making other people a scapegoat. I'm telling you right now, I think anyone <laughs> who's in touch with reality a little bit knows this, um, a victim mentality has fallen on the United States. A victim mentality has fallen on the United States. In fact, it is so disgusting that it's promoted. Are there victims? Yes. Are there bad things that happen to people? Yes. Are there bad things that happen to all large groups of people? Yes. Is there injustices that happen to different uh, minor, minority groups? Absolutely. Amen. Right? There's no, of course. I mean, it'd be like ridiculous to say that it doesn't. It does. Uh, but, uh, but, but in the larger sense, I really do believe that a victim mentality has fallen over the United States. And it's not just skin tone. It's not, like, a lot of people have it. You know, it's, it's a mentality of it's not my fault. The reason why my life is going the way that it is is not my fault. This person did it to me. Or these people did it to me. It's playing the victim. It's essentially this. It is not my responsibility. The reason for my problem is blank's fault. It's not my fault, it's my mother's fault. It's my father's fault, the way that they raised me. It's not my fault, it is my worker, co-worker's fault, or it's my boss's fault. It's not my fault, but you know, people just treat me this way and blah, 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 right? If we walk in that, it's a spirit of victimhood. And it's a spirit of scapegoat. It's a spirit of Azazel. Why do people do it? Because um, if you're a victim, that would then mean that everyone owed, owes you something. 
There's people like that who bear and take on this shame mentality and say, it's not my responsibility. I'm not the one who did these things. It's someone else that's causing this to happen to me. Or as a pastor, I'm telling you, you know, there are people that like, look to the pastor as a person that is expected to fix their problems. No, I don't. It's not my job. My job is not to fix your problems. My job is to teach you and counsel you on being transformed into the image of Jesus. That's my job. I'm not here to fix your problems. And it's really actually kind of frustrating because some people, like, it took decades to make their problems. And now they want me to solve it. Or can't you just do this? I'm like, you just spent the last 20 years making this. Or can you just pray to solve this problem? No, I can't just pray to solve your problem. You pray, you fast, and you change your behavior. <laughs> Brother, my back really hurts because, you know, I, my back just really hurts. Can you pray for me? No, I'm not going to pray for you. Go lose 40 pounds. Your back won't hurt. It's not my responsibility to now intercede for something that you spent 20 years creating. It's like we can have a healing service just like having a consultation on proper health. I can't fix your problems. You need to bear a level of responsibility. And you can't adopt a victimization mentality that is fallen on the world. I'm telling you, a spirit of the scapegoat has essentially fallen on the world where no one bears responsibility and no one wants to take ownership. It's someone else that has caused these problems. Well, maybe someone else has caused problems, but it's up to you to bear a level of responsibility. And I'm telling you, the level of responsibility is a responsibility of acknowledgement. The acknowledgement that Jesus died not just for you to have eternal life. He died so you are no longer walking in shame. You no longer have that spirit on you. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. Now, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. If we are walking in this spirit of either trying to fix other people or blaming other people for who you are, um, it, it's a high thought. What's a high thought? A high thought essentially is an inappropriate view of things and yourself that has become so deeply rooted inside of you that it's manifested even into your personality and how you act. Right? It's a defeatist mentality. Could be one, right? It could be an arrogance as well. It's, it's when you have a thought that has become such a pattern 
that you can't get out of it. I mean, maybe the best way I can explain it is like an addict, right? Someone who is continually using a substance, continually using a substance that they have created an actual physical dependency and they feel like they can never get out of it. There's a stronghold that's on their life. Yeah. Now, they can get out of it, but what I'm trying to say here is in the spirit, there's a lot, there are people who will do that type of activity, but it's more nuanced, it's more in emotion, it's more in feeling. It's a high thought. And that high thought is going to keep you from walking in the destiny that God has for you. Options. You can play the victim and adopt the spirit of Azazel, the scapegoat. Or you can acknowledge and take on the power of the blood of Jesus and become a victor with authority. You can make everyone the cause of your calamity, or you can say Jesus has paid for it all. Amen. So my sins are atoned. But you gotta take your, your junk. You gotta take your past. You gotta take those shames and those blames, and this person did it to me, and this, that, and your you need to take that, and you need to, like, in a spiritual, philosophical way, you need to place it on that goat and send it to the wilderness to die. Or you'll never be free. You'll never be free. So yes, bear responsibility, but as I said earlier, but the most powerful act of responsibility is to look to the cross and really understand the recognition of what Jesus really did for you. He didn't just give himself as atonement for everlasting life. He gave himself as that secondary goat as well to bear all the shame and to bear all the junk and say, it's no longer you. Come on, man. Book of Hebrews, when he's writing, says this man, not bulls and goats, but this man, an eternal high priest, the son of God, once and for all, for all the sin and all of the shame. But many of us, we take, we, we, we put the shame back on ourselves. We never really let it go. And now, since that sacrifice has been made by a high priest known as Jesus, we can boldly go before the throne of grace. We can boldly go beyond the veil. We can have interaction with that presence. And what's that presence? It's the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit that we now have access to, which we did not have before, before Jesus. So when you're talking about Holy Spirit, a lot of people like to be like, oh, tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge. I'm telling you, that in the spirit of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, I really feel that the Lord is saying, how about the Holy Spirit that is there to transform you into deeper holiness? And what is that deeper holiness? It's, it's no longer blaming. It's no longer blaming. It's now a place of acceptance. I am a new creation. It's hitting the reset button. Some believers don't do that yet. They haven't come to a place to say, I truly am a new creation. 
understand how it changed my personality and how it changed my mind and how it created my behavior, you know, that's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay to self-efface yourself. It's not okay to make fun of yourself. It's not okay to do these things. Oh, that's just the way I am. No, it's not. That's the way you were. It's not who you are now. It's okay if I belittle. No, it's not. It's not okay to belittle. Amen. That's not you anymore. That's right. That's not you anymore. Second Corinthians chapter five. Closing up. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All of that joke of your past, it's gone. It is gone. All the guilt of your past, the upbringing, all that, it's, it's gone. You are now a new person. Blank slate, man. It is brand new. That's what it means to be born again. Don't take the old life back into the new life. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus, Jesus the Messiah and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. You're not even a new creation. You're a new creation and you are the manifestation of the righteousness of God. Do you hear that? Amen. You're not just born again. You are a manifestation yeah. of righteousness of God. Yeah. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no bringing the old life into that. There's no casting blame to others, adopting a victim mentality. There's no fix my problems. It is I am clean and pure before the Lord. Amen. 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 Why don't we stand? After service today, we do have our cafe and also Eric Storch will be available for those that would like to register to vote. Whether you are from an out, or out of state and you need to now register, you need a Pennsylvania driver's license. Or if you have never been registered to vote, is obviously every election is a very important election. And so we encourage you to vote. And that's a period, vote, period, like vote. In order to vote, you need to be registered to vote. So Lord, we come before you, and I, and I pray, Lord, that during this Day of Atonement, Lord, that we could understand and walk out releasing ourselves from the spirit of the scapegoat. That we can release ourselves from the spirit of victimization. Lord, that we can bear responsibility and say, you know what? Even though bad things have happened to me, my responsibility is to go to the Father and cast the blame and cast the hurt on the scapegoat, on Jesus, the one who bore it all. For us to walk through and become the righteousness of God as new creation. 
Lord, let that be so. Let that be so this day, this hour. In Jesus' name, amen.